Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents with me, your host, Valerie, and sometime co-hosts, Miss Purrington and Mookie. ComedyWham.com is your place to go for features about all Austin comedy. We just launched a redesign of our website, so tell us what you think. And in addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, our advice column, Rochelle Takes on Comedy, and we've got a festivals page and our FPIA page where you can see the history of the contest. You can keep up with us on Instagram at Comedy Wham and even on TikTok. Or check us out on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. And of course, we're best known for our events page for live shows in Austin, Houston, and DFW. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click Submit a Show to complete the short survey. Tag us on your Instagram stories and we'll share your show promo. Looking for ways to support all these resources we provide? Well, you can donate to Comedy Wham on PayPal, Venmo, or even Patreon. Search for Comedy Wham on Patreon and check out our subscriber perks. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and we usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the Austin comedy scene one of the best in the country. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Today, I talked to somebody, I'm talking to somebody, yeah, I talked in past tense, it already <laughs> happened. Uh, I fell in love with this comic when he did our, our little short-lived Comedy Wham! showcase, and he was just, oh my gosh, the crowds loved him, and amazing. He was also in the 2016 finals of the Cap City Comedy Club Funniest Person in Austin contest. You can listen to his podcasts, Rodical Thinking and Team Lift. He's got two albums that you can check out on Spotify, live from the 806, and Mind Ya Business. I have a feeling that there's a certain way to say that. Uh, he tours the country, bringing his amazing energy to audiences, and now I'm so excited. Comedy Wham! presents our guest, Roderick McDaniel. You made me sound interesting. <laughs> you <laughs> are. Stop it. I listened to that, and I was like, who is this coming on? Is there another guest? <laughs> it can't be me. Yeah, that's... I need you to write my bio. Okay, sure. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I did not know I had done this much. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, no, I'm, I'm geeked about this. I told you uh, that already. I, yeah. I knew the long list of comics. It's yeah. a who's who of Austin comedy here. So yeah. this is like the honor was for me. I was like, yeah, I done made it to the big time sale, <laughs> baby. I'm on that comedy well. Y'all know about me. <laughs> I'm going to get my groceries delivered now. That's who oh, I am. That's, that's who I am now. <laughs> I don't know if uh, this podcast gets you uh, home delivery money, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm there. I'm there. I've made it. I'm like, mm, I'm not with the peons. I'm never going back in Walmart. I'm Target only now. There we go. <laughs> Roderick, it's so awesome to have you on. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm hyped. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to an episode. I've listened to some. Okay. Like when my buddies show up. There are people that I like. So, yeah. like, if I see certain names, you know, like Andrew Murphy, Sam Narani, those names, I'm like, uh, yeah. I got to listen yeah. to those. Oh, I haven't had Sam on yet. Their names I, I need see. to hear. I see I you. you but her. you run in a circle where I see names and I'll go, okay, yeah. I got to listen to if If I see them on anything, I'm like, yeah. Let's listen. Yeah. And Andrew's a nice guy. I, yes. First time I met him, I thought he hated me. Oh. I did. Wow. <laughs> we were doing a show in Georgetown at the Barrels and Amps, and they. He was the last show I did before they quit making me feature. Because hmm. I'd headlined and I recorded an album there. 
And on one show, I dropped in, and they were like, you're going to go in front of Andrew. And they had certain times where I'd show up, and James Camacho, who's a good friend of mine, was one. Andrew was the second. I forget who the third was, and they were like, you know, if you drop in, you have to close out now. Hmm. Because I do a high-energy kind of weird comedy style, and so... The energy is up here, and if you're understated, uh -huh. it's just like the audience doesn't know what's going on. So they were like, we're putting you in the wrong places. And, but I met Andrew, and he was such a nice guy, and he was yeah. so kind and, and very articulate. And I was like, oh, I like this guy a lot. Yeah. But at first time, I thought he hated me when he had to follow me. I was just like, I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I'm sorry. Comics are an awkward lot, though. You know, they're, they've got their own thing going on, and they're all, I'm generalizing. They, but you're you not know, wrong. I'm not wrong, <laughs> but I'm generalizing, which I shouldn't do. Yeah, uh, yeah. They they're often carrying baggage about. We are. Who who doesn't like me? Who likes me? Why am I not getting booked on this show? Who's not paying attention to me? Oh yeah, which is a weird thing, and I and I don't know why I'm like that because I have seven kids. I have enough people <laughs> paying attention to me that I wish didn't notice me. <laughs> They're not booking me. They're just taking my money. That's what they do. But yeah, I'm just like, why? I'm so I'm worried sometimes. I'm always like, cause, but they kept telling me, even Camacho, when I came off stage, just like, I got to follow that. That's what he said mm -hmm. to me. And I was like, I didn't do anything. That wasn't even, like in my head, yeah. oh, it's just a quick 15. You uh -huh. got it. And he was like, bro, I'm about to struggle the rest of this show. <laughs> and I love him. He's like, he, he followed me. He did a great job. But after that, we were just like, Every time I see him, he's one of the first people I just run it automatically. Hug. I have to hug you. Aww. <laughs> I have to hug you because you don't hate me. I love you. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I'm a big guy. You don't think I'd be, like for most things, people say stuff to me all the time and I'm not worried about it. Uh -huh. And I'm like, I don't care if they don't like me. There are certain people who I do worry about liking huh. me. And I don't know what is those people's aura or what it is about them, but I always worry about this one person here. That's the one person I worry about not liking Wow. Me. Yeah. Andrew was one of those guys. Huh. He made the list, and I don't even know why, because most comics, I'd be like, look, I don't care about it if you don't like me. <laughs> You're in therapy like me. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm, worried about, I'm worried about you liking me. But no, Andrew, for some reason, I was worried about him That's not so liking funny. me. That's so funny. No, I like the guy. least intimidating guy in the comedy scene. I mean, no, he's not, not a gangster <laughs> no, at all. He's really not. If you met Andrew, you were like, you were worried about him not liking you? I can put Andrew in this shirt pocket and carry him around. He's a very he's a very nice man. He's tall, but he's very compact, and I can carry him with me. Welcome to this episode of Andrew Murphy Talk. <laughs> That's it. That's it. You have to put a little byline. Andrew, we mention you a lot. Yeah. There's a whole opening that I do about you, Andrew. <laughs> there we go. Like, That's from my album, I Love Andrew Murphy. There There's you go. There you go. <laughs> well, one of the things that I do with my podcast is I actually start off with an opening question. Okay. Which is, tell me one word to describe your past. Oh, Chaotic. Hmm. I'm gonna have to say that's the word. Yeah, if I, if I gotta give you one word, it's definitely a. It's, it looks like chaos. Yeah, but it was It was. It didn't feel like chaos. It hmm. just looks like it. Because once again, seven kids, seven kids, three ex-wives. Now, I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm the Elizabeth Taylor of comedy in Austin. There we go. 
That's, that's all I am. I I know who I am in this game yeah. at this point. But I was I don't know why, but chaos. Yeah, because yeah. you know I had the military career, and then you know I moved a lot, and then there was a heart attack scare at twenty six. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was just a week away from turning 26. My gosh. Had a heart attack scared in and then one at 33. And then I was just kind of like, hey, if I can survive all this, I bet I'd be real good at comedy. <laughs> That's <laughs> the natural progression. <laughs> You've almost died twice. What yeah. are you going to do? You're going to exercise and eat right? Nope, I'm going to tell jokes. <laughs> and hopefully not get addicted to cocaine. That's yeah. all. <laughs> I don't want to do the Chris Farley play, but <laughs> that's who I am. Was your childhood filled with uh, comedic memories? Uh, yeah, uh, my dad is a naturally, he was a naturally funny guy. Hmm. My grandmother was a, a, on my dad's side was a prankster. Hmm. Like she would prank the grandkids. That was her thing. Wow. Like That's awesome. Huge pranks. Like, hey, I just saw in the news that there was a, some guy just escaped the prison and he's in our neighborhood. Like she told this whole story. And then uh, we were coming home one night, and she said, who's that guy down the road? None of us could see who she was looking at. She's like, he looks like he's got on prison garb, so let's run in the house. So we all run in the house, and she's, there was no guy down the road. This old lady's just pranking everybody. <laughs> and then she would wait. We were in the living room watching TV. She went to her bedroom, went into the closet, and that closet faced the living room. And then she started beating wildly on the wall in her closet, Scared everybody. Um, my my cousins got behind me and used me as a battering ram. <laughs> like I'm the biggest kid, and they were using me as a battering. I almost broke my toe because they were moving stuff out of the way. Uh huh. Other cousins got ran over. Whoever got hurt, they didn't care. Wow. The ones jumped behind me and Grandma. used me. And she was rolling. When we got to her room to tell her about the knocking, she was on the floor laughing. And I was like, "You're an evil old lady." Dude. <laughs> I'm going to make sure your nursing home has security dogs and guns, okay? <laughs> you're, you're a terrible human being for that. But that was her thing. She was always a prankster, so I just kind of picked up on that yeah. vibe as a kid. Yeah. So, yeah. Easily. How does that line up with military service? Dad. Okay, so I have... Uh, Dad was a provost investigator for the United States Army during Vietnam. Oof. So he was a big, big week. He would arrest... He was the guy that would arrest officers. So, which I did not know this. When I was a kid, he just told me. I served in Nam. And he would tell me these stories every now and uh -huh. then when I got older. But the stories he would tell me, I was like, are you James Bond? What were you doing? And he did, oh, it's nothing big. No major. No big mm -hmm. deal. And he changed the subject. But I kept hearing these stories. And I, you know, you start getting older. And now you're starting to put it together. And you're going, no, there was something else to you, man. Because... So many stories you're telling me are crazy. You know, somebody tried to frag you three times. They threw a grenade into a shower while you were showered. My gosh. And he'd tell these crazy stories of stuff he survived, and I'd just be shocked. And when he passed away at his funeral, the military was there when we got to the gravesite, and they did the 21-gun salute and gave my mom the flag. And I was like, okay, what did he do? And then it's everything came out and that's mm -hmm. when i figured it out so and i i went nate dad was army i was navy my brother chris was air force and we only needed one marine that was all we needed was one of the other two brothers to go marines and they were like no thank oh. you we're not doing it we don't eat crayons so they didn't do <laughs> they wouldn't do it i was like 
And not to all my Marine brothers, you know you eat crayons. Don't start. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> okay, so I can see with the, the funny dad, the prankster grandma, that's, you know, your energy is, oh, yeah. is very silly and... Even my mom's sharp. My mm. mom is sharp wit, but she said when we were growing up, she said she would watch my dad and I start these little joke-offs, and we just, uh-huh. he'd be saying something, I'd tag it, basically. I didn't know I was tagging his jokes, but yeah. I'd add on to it, then he'd add on to it, and we'd just keep going like that, and it'd be 20 or 30 minutes of us doing this, and my mom said, I didn't have to say anything. I just let you two go, and I just let the jokes run from there, and I didn't. I didn't have to be funny. She is so funny now with him gone, but she's like, there are times where she says things and I'm just looking at her like, you want to open for me? What are we doing right, <laughs> right? now? What are we doing? You want to go on the road with me and open? I got a, I got a spot for you, lady. Come on. Get your 15 right. Then let's go. But she is definitely, she's definitely a, a funny person and it's kind of, I'm surrounded by them now because mm-hmm. all my kids have grown up with it and now they're all really hilarious to yeah. me. So I was like, I was a terrible dad. I made you all comedians. That's, I did not, not one of you is serious? Oh, gosh. What was I doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. My my son is hilarious, too. Yeah, you, like... just, you can't help it. You're just like, I made another generation of the comics I want to see. Yeah. And so they're all female. So was, I have five uh, daughters and two sons, and the daughters are just wow. acid-tongue comedians. Huh. I'm just like. Whoa! Some of the stuff they said is starting to show up in my act now, because hmm. they're they're talking to me about their dating life, uh-huh. and they uh, here's the kind of jokers they are. I am single. My daughters had a plan to start a, a Tinder account for me, <laughs> and they got together and they picked their favorite pictures, mm-hmm. and then they were just like, "Hey, every now and then we're going to come to you and tell you you're going on a date and where you're going to go," and I'm like, "I'm going to do what?" And they were like, yeah. And I was like, why are you going to pick the women? How are you picking the women? Uh-huh. And they didn't want to answer. And I was like, you know, I can make sure none of you get anything when I die, right? <laughs> yeah, and right. that's when the, okay, hold on, you're playing hardball, <laughs> old man. So then it came out. We were picking your pictures. We're about to start you at Tinder. And I said, no, you're not. No, I don't I don't trust y'all. Do uh-huh. No. <laughs> Terrible thing to say to your child. I don't. Wait, I don't try, look, you're fifty percent me and fifty percent your mom, and we didn't work out. So that means you got fifty percent of both of us. And you're not going to pick good either. No, I've seen some of your exes. No, you're not picking for me. Get out. I can fail by myself. So, but yeah, they really had a plan in place, and I was like, Mm-mm, you guys are too too much jokes. Yeah. Get out of my life yeah. now. So. Oh, hilarious. So you uh, you grew up in Amarillo, or you settled in Amarillo? I before? settled. Okay. Yeah, so when I say chaotic, so I was born in a place called Lufkin, Texas. Hmm. We lived in Nacogdoches, Texas, till I was five. We then moved to New Orleans, lived in and around New Orleans all the way up until fourth grade. Then we went to Monroe, Louisiana when I got to fourth grade, and I stayed there till I graduated high school. Went to the military from there. That led me to Virginia Beach, Great Lakes, Illinois, was where I went to boot camp, and then I settled in San Diego for a while. And then in 95, I moved back to Texas because I had enough California. (laughs) And then when I got to Amarillo in 95, I just stayed there. I raised my kids there, and I, I had a career there. I started my comedy career there. It was just like, it's home. Uh, if anybody asks me, I always tell them, Emerald is home because yeah. we moved so much as kids. But it was just like, no, this is 
home was Amarillo. I never lived anywhere so long, that many years in one place. So it was, and it was a neat place to raise my kids. I loved it. And it's where you started comedy. It is. Why did you start comedy? I lost a bet. So yeah, I, it's 100% honest truth. I lost a bet. Uh, I went home one Christmas, my brother and I, it was like, we would do this every other Christmas was a giant family Christmas. And for some reason, my parents' house became the Kool-Aid house where all the people went to. Hmm. So I don't know what happened when we moved here. They had moved to Round Rock. And I want to say that would have been um, 2001. That Christmas, like, all my grandparents were still alive. All my aunts, uncles, everybody showed up at the house for that one Christmas. I went home for that Christmas. Um... And I don't remember what happened, but it was a talent show we do. It's kind of like one night of that week where we're all there for Christmas. You're just, we hanging out in the family room, TV's on, nobody's watching the TV, it's even turned down. And we're just telling these stories. Well, I did a joke about my dad's side of the family being black rednecks. And I didn't realize they were black rednecks until I became an adult. And I'm just doing this story i'm telling about yeah. here's what makes them black rednecks my brother will tell you that was your first set he said because mm. i watch you do this bit about them and he said and it hit and it was so honest but everybody in the family's laughing the black rednecks are even laughing at themselves in this joke so they're watching me do it and my dad at one point grabs his ribs and he said you gotta stop my ribs hurt i just <laughs> i need to catch my breath and my brother i remember looking at my brother's face when my dad said that and i thought what's wrong with Terrence? you know He's looking at dad like that. So I stopped. I stopped the joke, but it was like they were all doing singing and storytelling. And then I, that was my gift was this black redneck bit. My brother said, hey, can you help me go get stuff out of the car? We go outside. He's like, when we get back to Amarillo, you're going to that stupid comedy club. And you're going to go up there and do their open mic. And I said, well, I've never done that. What if I suck? He said, if you suck, I will slip you 25 bucks. We never tell anybody in the family you tried it. He said, just won't mention it. And I said, and then what if I'm good? He said, if you're really good, buy me a Mercedes Benz. <laughs> and we never tell anybody why you bought that either. And I was like, I think you're winning in all of these circumstances. But but we did it. And uh, what happened, I went down there, and that was when the Moran brothers. So it was Kelly, Kenny, you know, Kelly, Kenny, and Kevin. The, the, the Moran brothers ran it. And Kelly was an old comedy store guy. Okay. And he'd moved there, and they started this comedy club with his brothers, and he ran it like a comedy boot camp. And it was the greatest thing you could go for because you would go there, you did cold opens, they made you, you would bust the tables in between the 7 o'clock and 10 o'clock show, you would seat guests, you did time every weekend, there were no taking reps off. Uh -huh. If there's eight people, there's 300 people, you're doing time in front of everybody. You're going to learn to host. You're going to learn to feature. They were always pushing you to write new material. Like, there was a time he told me, hey, don't come back with that set next weekend. I want a whole new five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, what? Yeah, if you try that, I'm going to buzz you off at two minutes. You better have a new five minutes. So wow. we'd come back, and you would have a new five minutes and try it out. So they ran it like a boot camp. But out of that boot camp, Daryl Felsberg came out of it, Kristen Key came out of it, and I came out of it. And so I was kind of like, oh, they had a 
they had a, a something special going on there. Yeah. But I did it, and when I got there, uh, they were like, you're only going to get five minutes. The light will be right here, so if you look to your left, you'll see me. Start the set. I'm doing the black rednecks bit. It's hitting. I keep looking for the light. I know I'm not missing this light. I mm -hmm. saw the light pre-show. There is no light coming on. I just keep going. I do the entire bit. I'm like, I'm out of material. So I just go, hey, thank you guys for supporting this. This was my first time trying stand-up. Y'all have a good night. Bye. And I walked off stage, got the applause. The guy meets me at the corner of the stage and he says, hey, go to the green room. The boss wants to talk to you. Oh. And I said, did I miss the light? He went, no. Nah. And I said, so the light never came on? He went, no, you, you didn't see a light. And I was like, okay. He said, just go talk to him. So I go in there and I go, hey, I'm sorry if I ran the light. He said, you didn't run the light. And I was like, what happened? He said, you told us it was your first time doing stand-up. I said, it is. Mm -hmm. He said, are you being serious? And I was like, yeah, this is it. I've never done stand-up before this. So he was going, you were so good, we decided, I'm going to see how much material he has. So let him. Don't light him. I want to watch it. So the, Kevin watched my whole set, and then he called Kelly and told Kelly about it. And they brought me into the office, and they started talking to me about it. And then it was just kind of like, come back next week with a new five. What? Wow. Like, we want you to come back. So a month and a half later, I did a guest spot in front of John Caponera when he was on the Drew Carey show. Uh -huh. But they kind of boot camped me for a month and a half to get that like tight 10-minute set to go in front of him. And I was just like, what is going on? But it worked out. I just kept going back. And yeah. I was like, this is the greatest drug ever. <laughs> I love it. I go up there and it would just be like the stupidest things I had an issue with that week. Mm -hmm. I would vent about it and write it out. And then I go, okay, that seems funny. I think that's funny to me. Let me see what happens. And I just kept going back and doing it week in, week out. So were you essentially writing on stage and then you'd kind of take notes afterwards to, there, to yeah, tighten things there up? There were many times that uh, in the moment, if in the spur of the moment, I would add a tag on stage that I'd never say. Mm -hmm. And i go, oh, i got to keep that tag. Oh, i got to keep that. Yeah. Um, that club was where I did the whole, there's a bit I do about my kids being Blacksicans and Mexlax. <laughs> yeah. It happened up there. Ah. Uh, it happened. I, was, I was doing a joke. And then the tag started rolling out of me in the oh heat of gosh. the moment. And I was just like. They're so brilliant. I got to go write all these down. <laughs> so I, I literally ran off the stage uh -huh. and wrote the tags on a napkin. Huh. And I kept that napkin for years. I was like, I have to, I have to put these in a notebook or something. Mm -hmm. I have too many napkin jokes. <laughs> but, it was, uh, but that was how I would do it. You were just always in the heat of the moment. And then they would book like Christmas shows. And they, somebody would call, hey, we want a corporate Christmas show. And they would send their comedians, their guys that they had been training in that club, they would send us to go play those Christmas gigs. So it was it was a good it was mm. a good time. But yeah, that was how I got started. Yeah. Amarillo is home. That's it'll always wow. be home. And you don't hear about Amarillo as a burgeoning comedy scene. You don't, <laughs> but it was such a here's what I say about Amarillo all the time. They are a pioneer people and they have meth. That's always <laughs> That's always all you need. That's all you need. people with meth. <laughs> they're just like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. They're not connected to any major yeah. city. Like even Lubbock's two hours south of them. Mm. So they're just up there in the top of the panhandle. And, and it's like if you're going to Albuquerque or you're going to Oklahoma City or you're going to Colorado, you pass through Amarillo. Yeah. So they... They were really a weird scene for like music and comedy because there were all these creative people looking for outlets 
and we also wrote with a different like we had no fear there were things i could mm. go to other cities and they'd be like i can't believe you say that on stage but in amarillo nothing was off limits yeah and and your audience was going to be republican democrat you knew they were going to be they were going to lean more conservative mm-hmm. but you also knew that if you could make them laugh nothing was off limits uh, and that was when that's the creative pot that you're kind of mixing yeah. around in, you just start learning to say a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> you just learn it quickly. I'm going to say it. People are probably going to hate uh-huh. it, but I'm still going to say it. Yeah. I'm not changing. And that's, I think that's when I got here. I thought was the number one thing was going to get me in trouble. It's like everybody else was so, con- they're reserved. Yeah. And they wanted to be witty. And I'm more like, I want to punch you in the nose. <laughs> Yes. With this joke. Yeah. I don't want to be witty. I'm yeah. going to punch you in the nose and say it out loud what I'm trying mm-hmm. to get to. And then take you on this journey to either make you love me or say, I hate him, but I have to agree with what he uh-huh. said. So it was, you're only getting two options. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew my comedy was different when I got here because I'd watch all these guys. Like I started with, uh, I remember the first time I got here, I saw Lando Shepard do a set. And it was Lando Shepard and Romello Woods. And I'm trying to think of who else was on that show with us. Uh, man, now I can't think of who else was there. It was it was basically the start of Dim Damn Fools. That was mm-hmm. how we started that whole crew. And they would make me follow them. And then that would make that sharpen me up because I was like, I don't want to be weak. I don't, I don't want to be the weak link here. So uh-huh. All of you guys are great. So I was just like. When was this? That would have been heavy in 2016. Okay. 20, 2015, 2016. I can't believe I never saw you. Oh, yeah. I was running with that whole crew at that time. Love I, Lando. I, would follow him around. Yeah, I just, yeah. Yeah, I when he talked about them damn fools, that was us. It was a whole crew of us. But uh, they kind of saw me do a show at Anderson Mill. And I showed up there for the mic. And, and it was just like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to be me. I don't know what I can do here. Uh-huh. And I just kind of came out and did this, like, I thought. Oh, this is going to be really offensive. And everybody came up to me and like, how long have you been doing this? It's been a couple years. I don't, I'm sorry. Are you mad? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. Are you mad? Because I've, I've heard you guys and you're all not saying what I'm saying. Uh-huh. But, but they just like loved it. Now nah, you're an OG. Come on. And they just kind of come under our wing, come do these shows with yeah. us, come run with us. And I was like, okay, great. And that's mm-hmm. That was how I got introduced to the whole comedy scene here. That's I met... Uh, I met Sam and Ronnie through that crew. I met, because uh, Romello had this crazy talent for finding people and bringing them to that showcase uh-huh. for them damn fools. And he, uh, Michael Davis, I met him that way. I brought Bonnie Ambers to that group because her and I knew each other from Amarillo. Hmm. And back in the day, we used to do, this is how weird Amarillo was, we'd do these burlesque <laughs> comedy shows. And that'd be, first part's going to be comedy, and then there's going to be a burlesque show. Uh-huh. And the comedian may host in between the burlesque acts. And so, and they would do, and it, but it would be like, it's the 420 burlesque comedy show. And I'd be like, why are we always doing something on April 20th? None of us can even get good weed this day. Okay, what are we doing here? This is terrible. You're just reminding us we can't have marijuana yeah. here. Uh, but that, that's how I met her. She was in burlesque, and then we hung out. And then she moved down here, and we reconnected in a H-E-B one day. And I was like, I what are you doing here? Uh-huh. And so she started doing stand. I got her in the stand up because huh. she had an, she tells this story. It was supposed to be in our, the documentary I shot recently. She tells a story about how I saved her life. And she had gone through 
she had attempted uh, self-harm. I found out about it two weeks after, and she told me this story. And I listened to the story, and I was like, huh, you really should try comedy. That was my answer to her, wow. because the way she told me the story was so good. And I was like, you should do stand-up. And she was like, why would I do that? I mean, well, you're already suicidal. <laughs> You've already got half of this talent there. Uh -huh. So can you tell a good story? You just did. I think you should be a stand-up uh -huh. comedian. So she started doing mics. And she was really good at it. <laughs> and then she ran into somebody and they were like, we'll give you stage time if you'll do a sexual favor for us. Uh -huh. And she called me. And it made me so mad. I mean, tell the guy to screw myself. I got you. And so I called in all these favors and friends. I said, hey, if she sucks. I'll never do comedy for you again. You can just not book me for a year. I'm a gamble on my, I'm going to take a gamble uh, on my homie. And the gamble paid off and she started getting booked. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I just wasn't going to do comedy in, in Austin. I was still going to go work. <laughs> just like, I just won't work here for a year. But no, she, she paid off. It's a gamble that worked. And I don't know. That's, that's how I love, that's why I love Austin comedy. I feel like we all should be looking out for each other yeah, like that. Yeah. But yeah. That's how it worked. <laughs> When did you start touring as oh, a comic? I would have to say early in my career. Because okay. even in Emerald, they put you out on the road. So I think the, ah. there'd be times like Kelly would go, hey, come open for me. Go on some road gigs with me. Or, hey, we're sending you to Garden City, Kansas to go do a show. Hmm. Uh, but then also uh, they stressed you being not dirty all the way, being corporate clean. Because I did corporate gigs there. I yeah, how does that work out? Because Roderick, that <laughs> I know. The Roderick you guys know uh -huh. now has 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 played churches. <laughs> I, did, uh, I did a motivational uh, summit for 4,000 eighth graders. <laughs> if they knew what you yeah, did Yeah, if they know the stages. jokes. Yeah, I don't know how I got, kept getting booked for these. And there were times I would ask people, did you listen to me? <laughs> you hear about me i'd ask these questions but, uh -huh. but the eighth graders came it was a amarillo college that put it on and i knew a bunch of people and i had a job working at the college and they knew i was doing comedy and they kind of were like we need a guy that's going to be able to connect with the kids and you seem to be able to do that yeah. the kids love you and i was like yeah okay sure what how big is the audience well it's not going to be that big and i went oh okay great so it's a small group yeah small group and i said okay cool so he, we, we sign a contract, they pay me a lot of money, and then I find out how many kids is going to be there. And I'm like, 4,000 eighth graders. Jeez. What am I going to talk to these kids about? And I can't do any of my jokes that mm -hmm. I'm about to put on the new album. So I'm just sitting there looking at them, and then I go out and I say, how many of you kids have a dad that's kind of quiet, kind of sullen, you think he's angry and mad at you? And more than half the room raised their hands. And when they did, I was like, I want you to know something. He is. You, it's your dad's fault. He is totally mad because of you. Because he had a kid instead of buying a PS3. And that's why he's mad. And I did this whole <laughs> joke. Like just ripped into this set for these kids about it is your fault. Okay. Uh -huh. If your dad is sitting there oh looking gosh. at the TV and he's angry. You know why? He's looking at that TV wishing there was a PS3 connected to that TV. <laughs> so the kids are rolling. They're, they're laughing. And then I... And what, the reason I started this, I looked at the front row and there was this girl and she had to be like six or seven months pregnant, hmm. eighth grader. And I'm like, she looks like she's about Gosh. to go into delivery anytime during my set. 
and she's holding her stomach and laughing. And so I started doing these jokes about, look, I said, I know you guys are curious about you're getting older, you're starting to notice boys and girls, and I want to tell you guys something. I have kids. Y'all are all terrible. Please never make a baby. Y'all are, you are terrible oh human beings, and then you're going to make another terrible human being, and we don't need that. And she's dying <laughs> laughing. So it turned into this kind of motivational speech and, and comedy show, but also uh, hold off on having you know, premarital yeah, yeah, sex. Yeah. It was this whole weird thing that I said I built in the moment for these kids. Uh-huh. I go out to leave the States. Kids are wanting to take pictures. They're having a great time. This one teacher comes up to me mad, angry. I mean, fuming. I could have cooked a fried egg on her forehead. She is upset. I don't think you should have talked to these kids about premarital sex. That's not your place. Mm-hmm. How could you even bring that up to these children? And I said, ma'am, did you see the pregnant girl on the front row? And she said, yes, I did. I said, then I'm seven months late to tell them this. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about it. And she couldn't answer that. And I just walked off and went and took more pictures with the kids. But they were like, they wanted to book me again. They were like, when did you do, when did you write those jokes? That was such a good set. Have you always had that? I was like, "Mm, no. no." (laughs) I could lie and tell you I'm a professional. I just winged that 15 that you got out of me up there for those kids. But it was one of those things where I like, I stayed. With that group, and they were like, I want to go talk to young men about that. And I was like, mm. what? And they were like, we'll pay you to go talk to a group of young men about the same thing you just did for 15 minutes. Okay. Wow. And so that's how I started. I hit the road doing this weird, stupid thing yeah. I took a gamble on. Turned into like, oh, I'm on the road. Well, then I'd go out somewhere, did a talk, lead to the next thing. And then it was like, seriously touring? Would have been, I'm going to say it was. It had to be about 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. Like, I was seriously torn by that point. Like, kind of going out on the road, trying to build up a following throughout, like, Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico. I was trying to play that a lot. Were you doing that, like, DIY, or were you able to use the connections that you had to get yourself? It was a mix of both. Yeah, because I played, back in the day, Albuquerque had... The LOL that was mm-hmm. in Albuquerque. And so Russ Rivas ran that room. And Russ saw me in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And I would feature for him almost every time he'd come. Then he huh. booked me to go over there. Then he had his first contest. It was the New Mexico Laugh-Off competition. Uh-huh. And I drove from Amarillo over there to compete. Huh. And I made it to the finals. Uh-huh. He was mad. <laughs> he was so... He said... <laughs> You couldn't Wasn't stay. In, you. <laughs> you couldn't stay in Texas and compete. I said you opened it up to anybody in the in the Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma. Uh, I said when you opened it up, the Great Southwest laugh off. Uh-huh. I said yeah. <laughs> Arizona could come over, and so he was trying to get all these clubs to bring your young talent over. And I and the two finalists were both from Amarillo. It was me and Joe, the one armed Mexican. He was so mad. He was like. <laughs> He said, you idiots came over and you dominated. And now he said, did. he was like, I need to run this club like they run Amarillo because all of us were coming over and we were just killing all the way through. Yeah. And then it came down to a show off between me and Joe. And I was like, oh, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. And Joe ends up winning it. And it was like, it was so weird. He won it, but like 
the audience was kind of like, boo, they booed. And then I was like, that's my dog. What are you booing for? But he's, when they pulled me to the back, he said, I think you won the audience vote. And he said, we thought you had the judges vote too. But at the end, he said, I think we mixed the numbers up and we gave it to him. But I think you should have won. And I said, oh You're gonna, I wish you wouldn't have told me that. Yeah, you should have just right? never told me. Just let me think I was yeah. second place. Don't tell me. We think you won, but we made a mistake when we tallied it. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, I'd rather know that I didn't win. Terrible thing to, to <laughs> never tell, tell somebody. Me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, uh, you, you released an album in 2010 mm-hmm. while you were still in Amarillo. Yes. And you're touring. And then your, your family is in Austin. Yes. But why did you decide to move? Uh... It was weird. So I had I was touring, and then uh, I tried out for a show with VH1. Uh, they had based it on the movie The Full Monty, hmm. and they were going to get a bunch of overweight comedians to hmm. make a strip crew in Vegas. <laughs> a brilliant idea for a show. Yeah. I tried out for it. They flew me out to L.A. Um, I sat in the Viacom offices. I interviewed oh. with everybody. And I thought, okay, life's about to change. Yeah. To the point the the producer of the show uh, came to my hotel room. We were we hung out. We were just watching wow. TV and talking. And uh, they gave me this beautiful room at the Radisson at LAX. And, like, it looked like Kevin McAllister's room from Home Alone. <laughs> it was just this great hotel room. Had this little giant screen TV and living room set. And he came in. We were hanging out. And he was talking to me about, hey, if your life changes, you know, you're going to have to join SAG. You, you have to get an accountant. We we talked about life, and this is why I always say you never know who you who you know in Hollywood because you always hear that story where they journalize, oh man, these Hollywood producers. Or, now this this guy's values were so much like mine, and that was the thing that got me was when we were hanging out talking. Uh, he kept telling me the the thing that producers like about you is you're actually we listen to your comedy, and there's one guy we listen to you, and you're very wholesome in person. Hmm. But your comedy is so not wholesome. Uh-huh. And so we're trying to figure out who is this anomaly that's in this office with us. And so uh, things were going great. The show falls through. Hmm. When the show fell through, uh, I was kind of like, I was, you know, I was bummed out. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I'm touring, but I'm not sure I want to tour. Um, 2013, uh, a tour I was supposed to go on falls through. And it was just like, Oh, it's a wrap. I'm done with comedy. Oh. So I moved to Oklahoma. I'm in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, a place called Frederick, Oklahoma. And if you go to Frederick, Oklahoma, and you're there for longer than 15 minutes, you realize this is where the FBI hides people. Okay. <laughs> you're a witness protection. They put you in Frederick, Oklahoma, because nobody's coming. Even if the mob wants you dead, uh-huh. they get to but Frederick City there. Limits, and they're going, mm-mm, nope, he's already dying in that city. Um so I was there hiding out, and then it, what happened was uh, my mom calls me, and she's like, 2014, hey, you, you got to come home. Hmm. And she said, I said, why? She said, Dad is sick. I said, well, I talk to Dad all the time. I know he's been fighting cancer, but, you know, went to remission, and he says he's doing well. No, hmm. you need to come home. So that was like, she was so serious about it. My brother showed up on April 1st with his car to pick me up oh wow i packed i left my wife and one of my daughters in oklahoma they were staying with my aunt and then um they were staying with her her aunt on her side of the family but 
I left. I got here April 2nd. I was at my dad's bedside. I got to do a set bedside for him. You know, telling him, like his blood pressure was kind of high when yeah. I was looking at the monitor. And so I just started talking and I was doing a, a bit. And my mom's in the room, some of his friends, and everybody started laughing. But we watched his blood pressure just normalize while mm. I was doing it. So I was like, can he hear me? They said, oh, he's very aware you're in the room. And I said, oh, yeah, he's probably like, this boy is at my bedside as I'm dying talking crap okay yeah. yeah very my son it's a very my son thing to do so um that night they were like hey you know he's we don't know if he's going to come out of it he's becoming unresponsive we're all going to give you time to talk to him so we all took our turns talking to dad and then i left and he passed away about an hour later huh. so i was here in austin i thought i'm gonna stick around do the funeral and i'm going home the next morning we got marching orders from his best friend. My dad had planned his own death. Everything was paid for. Just figure out what to write on the on the tombstone. Pick mm. out which tombstone your mom's going to want. One of you needs to live with her for a year. She didn't make peace with I was going to go. I knew I was going to go. And I was like, well, my tour fell through and all my kids are grown. I guess it'll be me. Yeah. And so I just stayed in Austin with her. And I was like, I'm here for the next year. And uh, it was just one of those things where I was like, I was... I was stuck here. One of my buddies I worked at GameStop with was here. And I called him and I said, hey, what are you doing these days? And he was like, I work for this video game company, Electronic Arts. So you want to get beers? I'm here. My dad passed. We went to go hang out. And he tells me, you got a resume? I went, not really. He said, make one. Send it to me the next morning. I sent it to him that next morning. That I sent it to him at 11 o'clock. At 2 o'clock, they called me for the interview. Into that week, I had a job working at Electronic Arts. My God. And I was stuck here in Austin. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to do Living com- the dream, Electronic Arts? Yeah. Yeah, Dude. it was a weird job. I, I, and I did everything. Like yeah. It's one of those jobs where you go in and you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to do customer service. Mm-hmm. I was just answering some chats or answer emails. And it, I, I ended up working in all their customer-facing departments. Huh. And then I got to their tech support level, which is their highest. Then I went from there, and I started working on an internal team called X-Labs. And we built a, a chatbot AI. <laughs> and it was so human-like, people would apologize to it when they would. <laughs> like, it was weird. I worked on that team. And, it, and I would be one of the people to go through and read responses. And each week, we uh-huh. just, okay, this was kind of a weird one. We need to tweak the parameters uh-huh. for this. Uh, here's a list of bad words that we know. And then we, it was so deep. The this I probably shouldn't say this, but it was fun. I'm telling you. <laughs> we found all the negative uh, racist words that you can find in every language. And we had to program those into that thing. Oh, my god! And you had to know if it heard this, it it has to react to that uh-huh. negatively. And there would be times where they would say, here are some curse words. It would say that in the chat bot. We'd go, I understand that you're upset, but please, let's show some respect and, and decorum when we're handling your transaction. So that was how it would reply. And they would reply knowing they were talking to an AI. And uh-huh. they would go, I'm so sorry for my behavior. And I was like, <laughs> and I, was like I love this job. I'm, I'm pranking people behind the chat bot. They don't even know. But it was just like, I did that for a while. And then when I left them, I was working user acceptance testing. So my names are in the credits for FIFA 16, 17, 18, 19, and 25. And then I'd, I would be on projects like uh, one of my buddies in Jersey loves 
NHL, I did their retail beta. So they would mm -hmm. send me the green copies of the disc before they would go send them out to the store. I'd have to go home and have homework. And my homework would be, <laughs> oh, hey, you're going to play on. I would three come hours on. of the game online in a in a group chat with with the developers oh and gosh. saying, well, it does this, but I don't know why it's doing that. And they go, okay, that's great. we got to fix that. That'll be a day one pay. So I did this retail beta for them. It was, a, it was a great job, but I would have, like I would come home and tell my family, I got homework tonight. Don't bother me. And they oh, come oh, to yeah. me. What are you doing? Homework. homework. This is home. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's the greatest job ever. I'm never quitting. I did quit. <laughs> That's where Morgan Freeman went. And eventually he did quit. <laughs> I quit to go be a stand-up comedian full-time. I quit that no. job to go do stand-up full-time. And I thought they were going to freak out, but they were like, they were super supportive of it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how I got here. Wow. Who knows? Who, wow. It's like I say, it's chaos. Chaos, yes. It's always it's a perfect. chaotic story yeah. to get to, to where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, Roderick, let's take our little intermission here with okay. the cards. You pick a card, and I'll read it to you, and uh, you'll tell me your answer. That, that one. one. All right. <laughs> okay. I lose all willpower when it comes to dot, dot, dot. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> dieting. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be real. Uh <laughs> I, I, I'm a person that's weird about dieting anyway, so I've tried, um, one time I got a, a weird idea to go, I want to see what it'd be like to be a vegetarian, mm. and I did it for nine months, mm -hmm. and it was probably the greatest nine months of my life, mm. but I would go, this, we had this group of guys that I used to run with, and they always, we ate fried chicken on Fridays, I don't know why that was our thing, like, yeah. we're just going to get cholesterol together, um, <laughs> we're just going to raise our numbers, let's go, but I would go with them to a KSC and it would be so weird they're like you just ordered green beans and the coleslaw you better the coleslaw. order the coleslaw I would do uh, <laughs> they used to have the baked beans back then like I did all their sides yeah I did all the sides no chicken and a drink and they were just like this is weird you're ruining chicken Fridays and I was like I know I am and then uh, I tried keto and I lost a lot of weight on keto and I did good with it but I'm good at like I want to see if I can do it. I just want to test it. Yeah. The vegetarian thing almost killed me because I was doing great on it. But when I tried to come back to meat, I don't mm. know if it was a stupid idea. We were at a cookout. And this steak my buddy made looked so amazing. And I said, I don't want all of that. I just want half of that. And he said, sure. And he's like, you sure? And I was like, he said, have you even had meat? And I said, mm, nine months ago. It should be no problem. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you become a vegetarian and try to go back to meat, your body will kill you. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So my body was like, what is this? Almost to the point where it couldn't break it down. Oh, gosh. I was violently sick for a while. So then I was just like, okay, maybe I, I don't know if I want to be a vegetarian for the rest of my life. So I now have to start microdosing meat. <laughs> <laughs> I was microdosing meat before microdosing was a thing. Uh, I was having to microdose meat into my diet to, yeah, eat, to introduce sure. it back into the system. And I was like, I don't know if I'll do that yeah. again. But yeah, it was that was me. Me and dieting are not friends. I'm terrible at yeah. it. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm good now where I can just like, if I eat protein and a vegetable, that's all I want. I don't, I don't really want to do a heavy carb thing. Cause, mm -hmm. And I don't eat before I go on stage because... Well, you've seen me perform. I can't be heavy. I don't want heavy foods laying on me yeah, before I go yeah. up on stage. I'm already sweating. <laughs> like R. Kelly at a Girl Scout rally. I don't need 
meat sweats and it's introduced <laughs> into that either. So that's it. Dieting. That's my that's my answer. All right. All right. Let me see what this one is. All right. <laughs> yeah. This is I need this. Uh <laughs> I make too big of a deal about dot dot dot. Everything. I am obnoxious. My roommates, my mom and my son, know this. Like something is out of order. Oh. Why can't you just put this away? Why can't you clean your own lunchbox? Why? Oh, I'm. But okay, is it that you're being obnoxious, or you're just overly concerned about the little details? I'm a massive control freak that okay. is overly concerned about details. Let's see that now. See that's if you could have left out the whole control freak thing. Yeah. Said, I'm just concerned about the little details, and we'd yeah. have said that's not bad. That's no, good. it's control freak. Everything. <laughs> It's I'll, bad. I'll say this: you would make a great agent. I, I, I'm being huh. honest. Every agent I've had uh, that was uh, was female had was definitely overly conscious hmm. and concerned about the details. Yeah, and they were amazing. They there'd be times where somebody'd be fighting, and I said, "You don't want to talk to my agent." And I would literally sick the agent on him like a pit bull. Just like, okay, you don't want to. I did it to an anime convention one time. I hate to say this, but they could not find the money to pay me for my services. Oh, stop. And I was like, look, I don't have to come to the con, but this is what I'm going to come for and for mm-hmm. what you're asking me to do. Plus, you won't come. It's got to be this amount. Here's the dollar amount. Well, we don't have the budget for that. Okay. Well, I guess we don't have anything to talk about. If you have any other questions, call my agent and you can talk to her. And the minute they called that agent, and I'm going to say her name, it was Amy Muggridge. Oh, my gosh. Who had turned to entertainment. not uh, mess with Amy. <laughs> yeah, I let the bulldog uh-huh. loose. And she, all of a sudden, the price went up by about $200. <laughs> there was my amount, then there was the Amy amount. And the Amy amount was like, and now you got to pay this because i got to get paid because now you frustrated me. And they... <laughs> I was like, she came, she sent me back the thing for what she required. And I was like, I don't even want some of this, but I guess I'm taking it. So so then all of a sudden, magically, they found the amount I originally wanted. Oh, interesting. And and then I was like, Amy, I'm still going to give you the 10% on this because great work. Yeah. Great work. They they magically found the money to fork me. So it was one of those things where she just, look overly concerned about the details yeah to the point of being obnoxious great agent <laughs> just saying putting yeah. that in your i don't yeah. know if you want to be an agent for a bunch of comics there's a lot to babysit yeah i don't yeah. have the ruthlessness that's the thing yeah. it's only like with you know family can i be that bulldog see yeah no, that's also a great mom too that's <laughs> my mom was like that and she would always say we were we joke about her being like that and she uh-huh. said look all I know is you've never spent a night in jail and you've never spent a night in rehab. My work here is done. You're yeah. welcome. And that's what she says all the time. And I would just go, you know, it doesn't even matter. Just <laughs> We're just going to minimize whatever trauma we got from this. Right. And, and our winning yeah. thing is, well, I never went to rehab. Okay. Yeah. I should have because you made me want to do drugs, but I never went. <laughs> But yeah, no, I love it. That's that's one of those things I never knock anybody when they say, I'm kind of obnoxious with family to a certain point about the small details. I was like, yeah, but the, those small details are going to become a part of their life. So Yeah. It's a win <laughs> And then me. they're going to be terrorists when they're parents. Yeah, no, they're going to be terrorists, <laughs> but their kids are never going to go to rehab. <laughs> they're never going to spend a night in jail. That's, that's our legacy. That's all we have. There you go. 
That's the legacy. That's it. You, you just use that line. My mom would love it if you used yeah. that line on your son. Totally just like, will. Yeah, just like, look, let me tell you something. You've never spent a night in Ringham and you've never been to jail. You're welcome. And walk away. Just leave that. Just the mic drop and just walk away. And he's going to be like, ah, I can't argue with her. She's right. Yep. Oh, I hate this lady. But I love her. I'm going to go wash my lunchbox. <laughs> I'm so using that. <laughs> tell you that's how it works in our family is it's definitely led to my career being at this point yeah. i'm at this table because she was ruthless thank you so. oh well there you go thanks mom yeah there it is. <laughs> that lady was ruthless how did you deal with the covid shutdown uh i did a lot of edibles and watched tiger king <laughs> which every as american should have done as one does uh no it was weird uh, this is the strangest thing and, and i've been saying it to guys like uh uh, you know, Dean Stanfield, Spencer Cavins, those guys. Mm-hmm. The best thing that happened to me was COVID. Hmm. It was weird to say that. Yeah. It's weird saying it out loud because I know so many of my buddies in comedy, their careers stagnated. Some yeah. people quit. Yeah. And I, mine went through a boost. It was the weirdest thing because um, I left EA January 27th was my last day of 2020. Ooh. And I had six months worth of money saved up. I paid off a bunch of bills. I was like, hey, I'm ready. No problem. Credit cards are paid off. I got one bill I got to worry about. I had this whole tour book that called in a bunch of favors. And I felt if I get out on the road and just prove I'm ready, it's all going to fall into place so magically. And I'm going to be touring again. And I remember March 12th. Uh-huh. I, was, I got up that morning. I had... I'm living what looks like a semi-retired life. I'm just, I get up, I watch the news, have breakfast with the family, and then I go play video games. And then I write in the afternoon. It was just wonderful. I was like, I can't wait to retire if this is what retirement's <laughs> going to look like for me. Um, and then March 12th, I, I, you know, I get up in the morning, I get to the computer, and I, you know, send out emails, double-check calendars. I saw the news report. Spectrum News, I'll never forget this. And they were talking about some things are considering shutting down because of COVID. And I, my mom's panicking. She said, what are you going to do if everything shuts down? It'll only be two weeks max, Mom. No big deal. Remember when we thought it was just going to be two weeks? Yeah, Oof. two weeks. No big deal. I got this. Yeah. And she was like, are you sure? I said, yeah. I'm covered. I don't need the money until June anyway. I'm good. And then uh, the first call came in on maybe in right at 1202 like it was so traumatic when the first call came through i remember looking at the clock and saying why am i why is this time seared into my mind right now why is 1202 important but it was a first call call say hey yeah we're probably just going to reschedule it in two weeks hey no big deal great i'll just have to move you around on the schedule but Mm -hmm. i'll still fit you in and then for the next three hours my phone didn't quit ringing and it was call after call and i watched my entire tour that i had Bill, uh, disappear. And then I was kind of like, I wasn't even, um, I didn't panic. I didn't get upset. I was just like, it's only a two-week delay, Roderick. Let's be real. The whole tour's still there. Everything's just now offset by two weeks. But I'm sad. I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> so I laid down, took a nap, got back up. world looked better. And then... Uh, I, I remember watching that two weeks turn into months. And I was like, uh, 
okay, this is weird. I'm going to run out of money. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I, I kind of took a panic job. I worked at a Sam's Club. <laughs> and it was the worst job I've ever had. I, <laughs> oh my, to the people that work at Sam's Club, God bless you. You're, <laughs> you should make $50 an hour to put up with the stuff you put up with during the pandemic. It was the worst job I'd ever had. Yeah. And, um, but the people were amazing there. And then all of a sudden, somebody called me while I was there. That would have been June. And they were like, hey, you want to go do some gigs? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, at this point, I'll take a clan rally. What do you got? <laughs> what, do you, what do you want? Do I have to set a cross on fire? I'll do it. I'll be a guest speaker for the clan. I don't care. I'm pretty angry. I know some black people I don't like. They're family. They owe me money. I don't care. What's the gig? Uh, I, took, I, I took those gigs. Then Shannon hit me up and said, like, hey, you want to go on the road? Mm. And I remember just thinking, where? You know what? I don't even care. Yeah, let's go. And it was just one of these things where we didn't know where we were going to go, but we knew we had all these Comedy Connect buddies, and it was just kind of like, we're going to put something together. Yeah, Shannon, you're in control. Here are some numbers, whatever you want to do. And it just worked. It, it should not have worked. There's <laughs> no reason we should have been... Um, at one point we played, I drove from here to Miami. We played Delray Beach, Key West, Comedy House NOLA, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we played those back to back to back. That was the number one, number two, and the number five highest COVID cases cities back to back to back while we were on the tour. And I was just like, I'm probably going to die out here, but I'm going to oh. be dying on stage doing comedy. And my sister, when she saw, when I sent the dates we were playing, yeah. she called me to say, are you on the Black Man Don't Want to Live No More tour? What are you <laughs> oh, doing? And I was like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. But yeah, I was. we were just so happy to be on the road. And then it turned into, we got hooked up with her and entertainment in that. And that was, yeah. he put us on the road even more. And then he was like, oh, you guys are vets. Yeah. Are you, are you got the shots? Yeah. The VA gave them to us. Oh, you want to go play these rooms? Well, yes. I, I'm back to work. It yeah. feels like I'm touring again and I'm getting paid good money to do this. And there were so many comedians that didn't want to go out. But I was already, because the VA had already, you know, shot me up. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like, I'll go into I'll these go. places where yeah. they won't go. And then... There weren't a whole lot of us doing it, so they were. I was just getting work left and right, and then that turned into. Uh, we met Tom Bomb, and we did the Cannabis Comedy Festival. Uh, it was just running running the highways with Shannon, just sitting in a car with Shannon, yeah. listening to murder podcast and having fun on the road. <laughs> and it was just like, oh my god, I'm. It didn't. I didn't even realize I was touring. Like I, uh -huh. I never been so happy to quit. A job when hmm. I went in there and told her, I gotta quit Sam's Club. I got some gigs coming up and I'm not gonna be here for yeah. weeks. And it was the greatest quit. And they were super nice about it. I've never quit a job where they got upset huh. that I'm quitting to go be a stand up comedian. They're like, We think you should do that. You are a terrible employee <laughs> and you're always making us laugh. And we feel like there's gonna be an HR case hanging out with you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Love you. So I leave. But it, but it was that was it. It was just like, Somehow we, in, it didn't even hit me until I think we were in, uh, I think we were in California somewhere on one of those runs. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh my God, I've been touring through a pandemic. How did this happen? And mm -hmm. then when I came here, we were doing the theater shows. We were doing, uh, I watched my buddies do shows on the back of, uh, 
at drive-in theaters on the back of a trailer. Yeah. Like, it'd be a flatbed trailer as the stage, and the cars were <laughs> honking their horns and flashing their lights when they loved your jokes. And I was just like, this is... I'm Crazy touring. times. I'm doing comedy in a pandemic. Which tells me, like, even if God comes back tomorrow, that open mic's going to be hot. That's, <laughs> I don't want to be here to see it, but that open mic's going to be hot. That's going to be a great one. Whoever's left is going to burn that mic down. Because... <laughs> Comics don't quit. We don't care what's going yeah. on. We're like, is there a mic? How long are the sets? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. that's and that's what happened. It just felt like it was a natural, weird progression to go out there and do it. But but now it's kind of boiled over. Pandemic's over, and I'm still going out. And I was like, ah, oh, survived a pandemic. Okay, yeah. I can I can survive anything, Dan. So yeah. Do you like touring more than performing at home? Oh no. I love I love touring. I do. Don't get me wrong. New audiences, uh, new places to see, and I love traveling. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I'm kind of weird. Like when I get somewhere, and then when we're going on this next run, we're we're gonna meet with the team that does icing in Wisconsin. And so there's one day where we're going to go hang out with that team. Like I have a show the night before. The next day I'm going to hang out with the icing team from Wisconsin, and they're gonna teach me and Shannon and Fred Madrigal how to. Do oh ice and so uh, Shannon was like, "You you do know we're we're taking your phone and making TikToks of you icing." And I was like, <laughs> yeah. "There's a good chance we were gonna have to anyway." Uh-huh. But he was like, "That's gonna be great content." And I was like, "It's content. I don't know about it being great, but uh-huh. we're going ice." I love that. But at home, um, there's a weird magic about being here. Mm-hmm. Audiences here hardly know me. That's what I'm starting to find out. So they're like, "I can go play a club and." I'll see some familiar faces, and then I'll look at the room and go, 90% of this room has no idea who I am yeah, and what I'm about to say to them. <laughs> and they, I'm about to get to beat up my, my people. This uh-huh. is my hometown. I get to beat these people up. And so I like that more. I love doing shows here. Plus, there's so many comics I never get to work with. So mm. sure. I like that. But, yeah, going on the road is, uh, is magical, but I think I would pick home shows or more fun in their own kind of way yeah kind of a weird thing yeah Yeah, there's just there's a different kind of fun of hanging out with your buddies that are your your brothers in arms in this Mm -hmm. you're just like your brothers and sisters in arms let's just say we're comrades that's better that's the communist thing we're comrades okay (laughs) we're comrades in arms and uh but yeah no i just i love doing that so it's different yeah do you have a preference for any of the the venues around town do you uh, no, I love them. I do. I love them all. Um, there are some venues that I'm concerned about now because of, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest about it. And I, my friend Claire Blackstone, I love Claire, mm-hmm. love Claire. Claire made a post one night yeah. on social media about some concerns and I didn't even think about what clubs it could have been. Mm-hmm. I just immediately was on the phone to her like, what happened and who do I need to go beat up? What's yeah. going on? I went immediately big brother mode. My bro- <laughs> Everything else shut down. and like, I got to beat somebody up. What's going on? Yeah. And she told me this story. And uh, then it kind of concerned me because these, I, I'd been in that club mm-hmm. that she was at where she had this bad experience that night. And uh, with there being so many different places doing comedy, I never once thought about it that the experience I'm having is not the experience everybody is having. Right. And especially if you are uh, 
if you're gay or trans, women in general. Like, I think every female comic in Austin deserves PTSD hazard pay. Because yeah. there's some weird stuff going on there's out here. There's weird stuff, and I've been covering the scene for 10 years. and yeah, There's some creepers in here. Are. There's some people I don't, I personally do not like like mm-hmm. as a person. I'm like, you're a terrible human being. Um, but then I, it kind of made me think about, oh, when I go there, they see I'm 6'1", 330 pounds. Not a lot of people about to harass me. Yeah. Not a lot of people about to say anything inappropriate in front of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Gabby Montemayor was the one that caught me. I have this bad habit when I'm on a show with female comics. I hang out until they leave. Mm-hmm. So like when the show's over, I always talk to the audience and then I make sure all the comics on the set uh-huh. like, where are you going next you got a show they all get to their cars and they leave then I leave Gabby caught me and called me out for it she says a lot of us know you do that <laughs> and I say what and she said it's almost like you're doing a dad thing I went, why do that five daughters <laughs> yeah I was gonna and say so I'm kind of watching to make sure that nobody's having a hard time in the parking lot yeah. nobody's followed you to your car you get home safely we all go do the mics you know that's Taking mm-hmm. care of my coworkers, yeah. make sure we're all safe. I was doing that subconsciously, huh. but I never thought about what happens if I'm not here. And so Maggie Mayfield was the one that turned me on to that. Like she told me one time, if I see you at a mic, I immediately get relaxed. Hmm. And I was like, why? And she said, you're just not going to let a lot of weird things happen yeah. around you. And I was like, no, I'm not. But that kind of bothered me. There's, there's some clubs where people who I really love working with and respect in this business are not having the same experience or feeling safe in those environments. Yeah. And it's and some of it's due to the material that's being some of the stuff that passes for material these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Not everybody's a comic. Some of you are just on stage ranting and mm-hmm. and just and testing not, the waters of yeah. you know being offensive or yeah. whatever. I'm just nobody can handle yeah. my truth. I mean it's not true. It's just it's just hate speech <laughs> on an open mic stage. That's all it is. But yeah, I've watched some of it and then it, so now it's made me even more self conscious to like hey, make sure you're doing all your due diligence when your shows and looking out for people. Yeah. To the point I almost wanted to open a club. Hmm. Like I literally was like, Do I wanna waste all my wow. money doing that and run a club? But I wanted to open a club where I was like I wanted female comics in the gay community and trans and everybody to be able to come in and go, I've never had a bad experience at your club, and nor will you. Yeah. Because I'm not going to tolerate a lot of stuff. It's just going to be like, hey, look, I don't mind you being funny. Um, I don't mind you saying some crazy offensive stuff. I've said some crazy offensive stuff. But there's a way to do that and it be a joke and you're not beating up a group. That's, I don't know why that's so hard for yeah, people to right? understand. That like, should be easy. Yeah, why, if you're in a position where you, like, okay, I'm going to just say, I love Dave Chappelle, but Jesus Christ. Okay, <laughs> yeah. just stop. Okay, <laughs> we know you have some problems with this community. Uh-huh. Uh, at some point, and, I, and it's one of my things I hate about comedy is like so many of my favorites and greats at some point, they're no longer funny. They're just ranting. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't care about your politics. I, I don't care how you vote, how you feel. Just be funny. I just want you to be funny. Make me laugh and forget about politics for a while and, and about uh, social constructs. Just make me forget about all that yeah. and make me laugh. And, uh, yeah, now I hate that there's some people that can't have a good time or go to clubs and feel like, hey, I'm welcome in this club on this stage or I can do yeah. this at this stage. And there's one club in particular. 
every time there's an issue, it's always this mm-hmm. one club. Mm-hmm. I'll say it offline, but mm-hmm. everybody heard this. You know the you one know club. The one. Yeah. You know it. Every time there's an issue, yeah. somebody was connected to this one room. And I'm like, what? Do they not know? Yeah. That they're that you're yeah, attracting a weird Yeah. No, look, money does talk. Yeah. Oh, money is money is I'm not gonna say it's money and sweeping something under the rug. All the time. Yeah. And then and I and I'm starting to understand that I, there's some clubs I don't get to play that club a lot. I know I know. And it's probably yeah. because they know he's not gonna play ball. He's gonna mm-hmm. say something. Right. He's gonna call somebody out. And I'll beat you up. <laughs> I'm not scared to beat you up. I have a lot of gigs. I can beat somebody up in this one club and never play that club yeah. again another day of my life. Okay, be on your best behavior. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm saying, you don't want to fight Uncle Phil. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> don't want to fight. I shouldn't say that because then everybody's gonna think Roderick is a very angry, violent yeah, black really. man. But only if you're a bad person. Yes. I've never beat up That's a right. good person ever, but yeah. I've beat up a lot of creepers. Okay, they yeah. they had it coming. You were being creepy. Yeah. Well, thank you for being, uh, you know, a protector in, in the scene. Trying. Because yeah. it's, it's definitely some bad actors out there that I'm... Yeah. And I don't know why everybody feels safe coming to me. I guess it is my dad vibes. Yeah. Because I hear horror stories from female comics sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, 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 slow down. I'm a guy. Hold yeah. on. You're starting to hurt my feelings here. <laughs> That's pretty hateful what you said about all men. And I'm, last time I checked, I'm a man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. But yeah, no, it is... Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's one of the things, and I don't think we talk about it a lot mm-hmm. out loud. We don't say it enough that, hey, some of you, some more male comics should be aware of what their coworkers are going through. Right. Because that's who they are. At the end of the day, these are your coworkers. And if you have a creepy coworker and, and your female coworkers and your gay coworkers don't feel safe around this creepy dude, you get rid of the creepy dude. Mm-hmm. You don't get rid of the female comics. You yeah. Know? And then, you know, and I'm and I'm real big about being vocal about that. And, and I hate there are comics that think they can hit women. That's happened. And I'm very vocal up against that, too, to the point where I called one of them out. I just said, you don't deserve a career in comedy if you do that. And, and then I waited for them to say something to me, and they didn't. <laughs> I wanted them to, though. I, I, I don't want y'all to think I'm trying to pick fights. I'm just saying, co-worker. Should not have put his hands on a woman. And then I called it out and said, you don't deserve a career in comedy. And if you don't like me saying you don't deserve a career in comedy, I'm at this address. <laughs> and you can come discuss it with me. And nobody showed up. And it's... I just... That's how we should do it. Yeah. Uh, any any male comics listening to this, be better male comics. That's all I'm saying. Be... Be more, treat them like you want your mom and sister treated. There you go. Yeah. Easy job. Easy. Easy, 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 easy. All right. Roderick, we're going to start wrapping up. Is there anything that uh, you want people to know about you that we haven't talked about? Um, I'm really great at video games. <laughs> <laughs> all that homework you've done. Yeah, all yeah. that homework made me a better person. No, um. <laughs> I got that thing with Keenan coming up, and I'm nervous about it. Yeah, I'll t- I'll say that I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm looking at all the talent that's on this show, and I told a stacked you, lineup. Yeah. Oh yeah, the who's who of Austin comedy. Mike Eaton and I are on the same night. Oh good lord. Mike and I and uh, trying to figure out who else, but that February first nine o'clock show 
is stacked huh. and it's like a bunch of my friends and then them telling us it's not a it's not a competition but it's a showcase kind of an audition and i think the word audition i you could have never told me it was an audition uh. keep that word away from me <laughs> i do well with auditions i don't know why i've showcased for netflix twice but i'm still still don't have a special so <laughs> Just, like I've opened for a lot of people from Netflix, they were like, "That guy's funny. We should get him to open for somebody we do have a yeah. special for." But yeah, no, that's is. It feels like it all keeps building to the next level, but yeah, I'm nervous about this one. Three. That's going to be the most nervous three minutes of my entire career. Three minute sets. Three minutes. Whew. We gotta be. You gotta do three minutes come worth out of knocking. work. Yeah, like no lulls. No. You gotta oh come in firing. For three minutes. And me going hard for three minutes, not a problem. I can do a set and fire for 40. I, yeah. I've done that. But to come in and do three and know this three is going to best personify who you are as a comedian. And I'm old school in it, too. Like, I'm doing the whole uh, timer. So, like, when I first started in comedy, they would make me go. Uh, Kevin made me sit with an egg timer for five minutes. Complete silence, couldn't move, no TV, no radio, nothing. Just egg timer, five minutes, sit there, don't move. Listen to yourself, breathe, listen to the room, and realize how long five minutes is. Hmm. It was a great exercise, and I called him back. I said, I did it. He said, what did you learn? I said, five minutes is a long time. He went, you could change somebody's life in that five minutes. Write something. Huh. That was his first exercise. So I've been old schooling myself, like turning off music, all the distractions, and I'm just sitting with a timer for three minutes. And then I'm letting my mind roam for that three. Yeah. And then when the three's up, I'm trying to figure out, oh, my God, I did a lot of jokes in that three minutes. But it's reminding me what three minutes is. I hate going to mics now. So three-minute mics, I'm like, I get nothing out of this. But here I am sitting with a three-minute three timer yeah. <laughs> learning. Yeah, you do need to write more three-minute bits. Uh, why, why did you stop doing it? Oh, you wrote an album, you idiot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you tore your Yeah, yeah Forgot to write and... three-minute sets. Mm. <laughs> Don't be me, boys and girls. <laughs> All right, well, I've got uh, one, one closing question for you. Okay. One word to describe your future. Bright. Right. I, I feel the most optimistic about it. I mean, I had to go to therapy to get this way. So. <laughs> That's also another Didn't tip, guys. <laughs> the therapy is amazing. Uh, I, I feel the most optimistic I ever have about the next few years. Um, just even like playing the anime convention and then there was a documentary about me that premiered at it. And then, you know, I'm in the midst of writing album number three, getting ready to go on a tour. There's, you know, I'm already booking into March and April this year. So it's just, I'm, things are looking up. Yeah. And I'm just always kind of like thankful. I'm blessed. I realized that I'm blessed. I didn't have to move to LA or New York yet. I'm doing all this from right here in Austin, mm -hmm. from Round Rock. And it's just like, I'm blessed. So I'm, I'm, I'm things look extremely bright for me right now. So if I had to pick a word, that's going to be the one. I'm sticking with optimism. Go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't can't take it can't take anything from that. Right. <laughs> I just don't want to be on Unsolved Mysteries. I want to be on Netflix. <laughs> I don't want to be Enough on Unsolved Mysteries. 
All right. Well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham presents Roderick McDaniel. Tell us where we can find you on social media and, and uh, do another plug for projects. Uh, the best place to find me is on Instagram at Coach Silky. The best handle. Oh, yeah. The it's, best. It's, it's, I love that Silly name. Handle. I'm never getting rid of it. Uh, at Coach Silky is the best place to find me because most times when I break uh, an announcement, it's always going to be there first. Um, I think it's Roderick McDaniel Comedy on Facebook. <laughs> you can find me. It's the beard with the flowers in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's my album cover. It's the picture, so that's the best one to follow me on. Um, and then uh, there's a Patreon in the work, and it's, it's a bunch of infamous sets from 2021 and 2022, hmm. and I got all those videos. I own all those videos now, and people have sent me the videos. So now that I have all these videos, I was like, oh, some of these are some pretty infamous sets that uh-huh. have, I said wild stuff at these. And people, <laughs> comics know about it and they talk about it, but I've uh-huh. never let the public see it. And we're about to put them all up wow. on there. So there's a Patreon cool. coming for $5 a month. For skipping one cup of coffee at Starbucks, <laughs> you can hear me say offensive things to audiences all across the country. Um, and then uh, I think that's it. That's, seriously, follow those. Don't follow my TikTok. I mean, you can, and I think it's. I think t- Shannon's gonna want people to follow your TikTok if he's yeah, catching he, you icing. Yeah, he's. <laughs> Shannon actually shared my TikTok to somebody as uh, one time they were trying to book a show and they were like, "Here's one of the comics," and he said on one of my TikToks. Uh, <laughs> but it's I changed the TikTok. It used to be at Coach Silky, and then I changed it to TD Fakes because. <laughs> When I was in Dallas for the Plano Comedy Festival, this lady literally thought I was T.D. Jakes. Oh. Again. And I'm, that's hilarious. And I'm just at the point now where I'm just like, you know, T.D. Fakes. That's my new that's uh, great. TikTok that's name. One. And I just kept it. That is. <laughs> so I'm T.D. Fakes over there. Because <laughs> I'm tired. I actually almost did go to a Mardell's bookstore, and I was going to pose next to his books and just start signing autographs for people that thought I was T.D. Jakes oh in there. But... I was like, TD's going to send me a cease and desist, uh-huh. and I want him to. <laughs> you know, I need the news coverage, please. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, you, we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Roderick got to be the comedic genius here today just as much as I have. <laughs> this has been Comedy Wham Presents, Roderick McDaniel. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you, Roderick. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>